Okay, why don't you stand with me for reading of God's Word. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 33 to 36. And it says, No one lights a lamp and puts it in its place, and puts it in a place where it, is, where it will be hidden, or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand, so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of the lamp shines on you. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that would be true of us, that we would be those who your light shines upon us and we then illuminate. God, help us to reflect who you are and how we live. Amen. Have a seat. We are looking at the seven woes. Uh, I went to public school. So we're doing seven woes over six weeks because apparently I can't count, uh, but, but that's how it goes. Uh, we still haven't found a Keanu Reeves video montage to put together, so it's all, whoa, whoa, but this is not the same thing. A, a woe by Jesus is a dire warning. It can be scary, and what we're asking is what the woes meant to the religious people of the day, the people who live there, and also what the woes mean for us today. At the end of the message today, as we do every week, we're going to take communion. We'll give you some time to deal with God. I don't want you rushed as God deals with you and I. So if you have a Bible, open to Luke chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 37, which is right after this. Now, I'm going to go through some stuff kind of quick. I'm going to thoroughly confuse you. So if you're confused, you're like, he's jumping over the place. I'm not getting this. You're right where you're supposed to be. And then we'll explain it all, and it'll be good. Okay, Luke 11:37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. Uh, when you ate in these places, there were low couches and low tables. Have you ever seen the... Uh, painting of Leonardo da Vinci, The Last Supper. They're all at this table. It's nice and proper. It's not how they ate The Last Supper. Okay, They actually sat down on low couches. It was reclining. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Now, see, this isn't like your mom, like, oh, did you wash your hands before you ate? This isn't like, ooh, gross, you didn't wash your hands. It's far more complicated that whatever this washing is, that's in the middle of this. Jesus doesn't do it, and there's a problem with that. There's something that the religious leader expects Jesus or anybody dining with him to do, and Jesus doesn't do it. And as a matter of fact, he doesn't acknowledge it and just blows it off. Verse 39, Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Now, this is not the way to win friends. You don't go and say, You foolish people. Like, oh, I want to be your buddy. That's not how it works. The Pharisees were the religious authorities of the day. They were wise. They were very, very knowledgeable. If you had a problem in your life you couldn't figure out, you would go talk to a Pharisee because they had the answers. Jesus says, Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, it's given to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. So there is this thing that Jesus is supposed to do. According to their custom, Jesus blows it off. He doesn't even do it. And then he denounces them. Woe to you! He starts screaming at him. I think it's, it's great. He says, you do all this stuff to this cup, but you are full of greed, and you are full of wickedness. You are full of it. Isn't that great? Jesus? Okay, whatever. Now, can you see why Jesus got killed? Yeah, okay. Full of greed and wickedness is not something you would say if you went to go visit a cardinal or the pope. Oh, hello, your holiness. You're wicked. I mean, you just, it's not something you do. 
Well, normal people do. And then Jesus calls them foolish. And in a Hebrew context, a fool is someone who denies God by their actions. When we call someone a fool, it's you're stupid, you're a moron, you're an idiot. In Hebrew sense, it's way more serious. And then Jesus says, he who made the outside made the inside as well. It's like a little haiku. It's like, ooh. You're like, oh, okay, whatever. And then he says, if you're just generous, you'd be okay. You confused? Let's pray. Amen. No. That's very good. <laughs> All right. Now, these woes, uh, what they are is recorded in a couple places. You have it here uh, in Luke, but it's also in Matthew 23. So turn to Matthew 23. Many of the things Jesus says, he either says a lot, or the people who write the Gospels put them in a context so their readers can understand. Matthew writes to Jews, Luke writes to Gentiles, John writes to Greek, Mark is writing to Romans. And so you go to Matthew, writing to Jews, and he puts his own little spin on this and who the audience is intended for. So Matthew 23, verse 25. You turn and it's good. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Now, Luke says greed and wickedness. Matthew, it's greed and self-indulgence. Either way, still not making friends. Okay? Blind Pharisee. Luke says fool. He says blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside also will be clean. So again, Jesus comes and he steps in this. He steps on a landmine that the Pharisees hold sacred and that he does not. So much so that he uses the word woe, this warning. Now, what Jesus has done here is he's actually stepped into a religious dispute of his day. In these days, religious people would get in all sorts of debate about the minute points of theology, election, predestination, free will, and, you know, and they'd split over little tiny matters. You know, it's not like it happens today. I mean, that was way back <laughs> then. And so Jesus steps into the debate. And when you read, they said this, and then Jesus said this, and then they wanted to kill him, we're like, what's so bad about that? It's because Jesus took a side. He goes, predestination and election. That's the answer. Okay, never mind. In Jesus' day, there were progressives and there were conservatives. So unlike today, right? Okay? And to understand what is happening, you have to understand the bit of the Jewish world that he's in. So in the Jewish life, everything is sacred. Everything. How much? Everything. Central to the Torah, the first five books of Moses, the way of the prophets, is that all life is sacred. There are no compartments in your life. Everything is sacred. Everything. You wouldn't say, this is your spiritual life and this is my other life. There was no distinction. In Hebrew, there is no word for spiritual because everything is spiritual. All life is spiritual. All life is lived in the presence of, the God, of God. All life is sacred. In Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything. Everything. Throughout Scripture, the same word used for spirit is the same word used for breath, meaning that even our breath is a picture of the divine breathing life into you and I. Everything is spiritual. Western culture says, well, you know, you got your job, you got your work, you got your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, this stuff, that stuff, what you eat, what you wear, how you conduct business, your sexuality, and we separate them into all these different things. But the Hebrews did not. Turn your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. You're like, oh, crap. Deuteronomy, where's that? It's part of the Torah, part of the first five books. It's in the beginning of the books. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verses 18 and 19. It says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
the normal flow of life for a Hebrew was endlessly trying to listen for God. What is God trying to say to me now in this moment as I'm doing this thing, waiting for the divine presence? It wasn't, oh, here's my job and I can conduct myself this way here. And oh, and here's my spirituality when I go to church and I conduct myself this way over here. It is all the same. Oh, this is how I conduct myself when I'm alone and no one's around. This is how I conduct when everybody's around me. They are the same. Everything works together. All life works together. And all life is sacred. And food, the cup and the dish, food is central to life. And so when the Jew came to a meal, it was a place for a Jew to tangibly encounter the simple truth that all life is sacred. Today, in an Orthodox Jewish home, the table is still considered an altar. And so the earth is God's. Food comes from the earth. It is sacred, like a tomato. Okay, so you take a tomato, you put a seed in the earth, you cover it with dirt, you give it a little bit of water, and you get salsa. Okay, <laughs> salsa. I mean, do you, did anybody really get that? You take a seed, you put it in the ground, you put dirt on it, you throw some water on it, and all of a sudden it sprouts and becomes this thing. And so you get this thing that comes out of the ground, and you put that into you, and it sustains you, and it keeps you alive and keeps you moving. So food was provided from the earth, which was provided by God, which God said was good. And you have meals many times a day some more than others. And we were reminded that in a very tangible way, all life is sacred. You guys following? Okay. After some time, some religious people said, well, we have this meal and we ought to approach this and be careful that we're very, very respectful of this meal as much as possible. We've got to honor this as much as possible. And so there came customs and traditions that started to get laid down about how you would wash your hands and the prayers that you would say and the rituals you would do and the way you served it and the way you prepared it and the way you ate it. And then there is a bowl and there is a cup and there is a dish. You've got to clean them, right? So you take and, you, and they start to clean them because they're part of the meal. And over time, there became this thing. Well, this is how you clean the cup and the dish and, and the saucer. And this, this is how what you do to yourself before you clean the cup and the dish. And these are the things that you do with this before you do that. And ritual upon ritual and tradition upon tradition and all these things about how much you clean the outside versus how much you clean the inside. And all of these things got added onto the simple truth. Food is central to life and it is sacred. Everything you got here, layer upon layer upon layer of tradition before you ever got to the salsa. And the beauty becomes lost. The mystery and the majesty of the meal gets lost in all this legalism that came to surround it. And so one group started to argue passionately that, no, no, if you come and you clean the inside of the cup and you do this ritual and this prayer and this thing, well, then it's clean. And another group said, oh, no, 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 no. You must clean the inside and the outside and do two distinct rituals while doing these cleanings and if you went to a meal with these people before you ever got to the salsa you would go through the washing of this and the prayer for that and the ritual about this and then you the prayer for that and the ritual about that and the prayer for that and you would do your hands and the cup and your hands and the dish and your hands and over and all these things and you never even got probably died of starvation before you ever got to the stupid meal you know and this is nowhere in scripture nowhere and so jesus goes to dine at this house and one school of thought there's two main rabbis of the day uh hillel like, I know it sounds all, hello, okay. You got, and they called them the Hillelites, okay? And the Hillelites came and, and they said, no, no, clean the inside and you're fine. Another, the other rabbi's name is Shemil, okay? And so the Shemilites, okay? And they said, no, 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 you got ritual and detail and this whole arcane system that went along with it. And Jesus comes in and he doesn't do either. He goes, forget that. He just comes in and does his thing. Instead of defending himself, instead of explaining what he is doing, Jesus turns the table and he just goes, you know what your problem is? 
Woe to you! And they're like, I can't believe this dude. What's wrong with this Jesus guy? He goes, you make all this effort to clean the cup. And then he makes the cup about their soul. And he says, but your cup is full of greed and self-indulgence and wickedness. He says, you have become so obsessed with how you look on the outside that you miss the point of the meal and the cup and the dish. You blind guides, how will you ever lead someone to the saving life of God? Because you don't know what that is. That's what he says. And when you are obsessed with your outer appearance and your rituals, you cannot be clean because there's nothing inside that's being cleaned up. He says, give to the poor and you'll be clean. And we'll look at that in just a minute. We're going to walk through the words, deal with the poor part and what it means for you and I. He uses the word uh, hypocrites. Hypocrites. This is from the word hupo, under, and crate, meaning to judge, distinguish, or separate. A hypocrite is someone pretending to be someone else. Uh, it actually is a term that came from Greek plays, and you would go, on, go onto the stage, and you would wear this gigantic mask over your face. And you would do whatever the play was, and people look at your mask, oh, that's who that is, ooh. And it was called a hypocrite. It was, it was the mask that people would wear. And so no one ever saw who you really were or what your real emotion. You could be bawling underneath, and the, ma- and the mask could be like, yay, I'm so happy. No one would ever know because you wore that mask. And he says you're hypocrites because you act a certain way. You put on a front so people will think you are one way, but you are really someone else. Then he uses the word greed, which is the word harpazo, which means to seize upon with force. It's taking something more and more and more and never being content with what God has actually given to you. It is actually translated other places as robbery. And this unquenchable thirst for more that leads to addictions, whether it's, I haven't had a Pepsi in three days, and oh man, I need my caffeine fix or lust or drugs or whatever it can lead to any of these things he uses the word self-indulgence which is the word acroposit means without strength it is unable where you're unable to regulate your appetite and things just take you over your longings and urgings these are destructive and they control you and then he uses the word wickedness, which is the word ponderous, which means maliciousness. Actually, in Matthew 22, when they try and trap Jesus in his words, it uses this word to talk about them. It means that your heart is bent towards something that is not God. It's bent the other direction. And so Jesus says, you're hypocrites, you're greedy, you're self-indulgent, you're, you're wicked. And that's us. That is us. We try and dress up the outside. We try and, and gussy up before we go to a place like a church. So people think that, oh, we've got it all together. And all the way down, they're like, ah, shut up, kids. Woman, be quiet. I'm going to earn you. Pull the apart. And they're like, hey, everybody, how you doing? Yeah, everybody. Yeah, oh, your, your kids are out of control. I don't know what's wrong with your kids. My kids are great. Have you seen them? Like, you get back in the car, I'm going to kill you when we get home. You know. And we gussy it up and we try and hide all the things that are in our lives because we think, oh, we've got to have it all together. Jesus says, you're hypocrites. You act like everything is fine. But the truth is, your life is unmanageable. Unmanageable. And then he calls them fools. This is a great word. The word fools is the word offrons. It means a without and frons uh, understanding. Without understanding. You don't understand that God offers a way for these things not to be true of you where you can live in a life that is not hypocritical and not greedy and not self-indulgent and not wicked. You focus too much on you. You're without understanding of what God has called you to be. Try calling people Afrans. They'll be like, what? You're like, yeah, it's, it's great. He says, you're without understanding. You're blindfolds. You don't get it. You don't get it. Go back to Luke chapter 11, verse 41. So weird. We just built this stage this week, and I feel kind of strange standing up here, so I'm not on the floor. 
1141. Jesus makes this remedy and he says it's about being generous to the poor. He says, but give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Well, what's inside the dish for them at this point? Food. 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 What's inside the dish? Food. Food. There you go. This is back to being practical. Jesus is very, very practical. Very practical. Many of the people Jesus are talking to at this point are the upper crust. They have food, bowls of food to sit at and recline at their leisure at a table. And at the same time, there are people who are starving. We in the world, as Americans, we are the upper crust of the world. And I think there's a distinction between what the poor is for us today. It's not the dude on the corner trying to get a handout to go buy a, a pack of beer. You know, but there are poor people in the world that we need to be looking out for. Jesus in this context basically says, you have much, others don't have anything. Your cup is full of self-indulgence because you take, you take, and you take, and you hoard, and you hoard, and you hoard, and others don't have enough. The solution, Jesus says, is you begin to be generous to those who don't have enough. And miraculously, when you're generous, something begins to happen to you. Something begins to change within you. You change on the inside, and the outside starts to change as well. You go from being self-centered to generosity. The self-centeredness that when we always focus on ourselves, that, that is full of greed and self-indulgence and just looking inward. He says, how do you solve that? You learn how to be generous. You give of yourself and your time and your energies to other people. Jesus' solution is something that you and I can do. It's very practical. We change how we live a little bit, and it begins to clean the inside of our cup. So what does that mean for you and me? Um, you got a cup, right? It's a great cup. Um, I figure I'm going to give these to you, and I'm making you actually throw them away. Um, so they're all biodegradable. Okay? They're, great. they're actually made out of corn. Because okay? if you can, you should. Um, and uh, they actually, if you put them in compost, they should biodegrade in 30 days. Yeah, so if it's raining outside, don't go outside with the cup. You'd be like, oh. <laughs> Get inside quick, you know. Stink. Uh, so Jesus takes a literal thing sitting in front of him. He, ta- he takes a cup, okay? Cups of food, but we're going to say just a cup. And he says, you're like a cup. You're just like a cup. You put it all together on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of self-centeredness and greed and self-indulgence. And Jesus says that you give what is in the cup, and wonderful things begin to happen in your life. Things begin to change. So we're going to take this cup as a metaphor for us. There's an inside, okay, and, and an outside, okay. So this inside, these parts no one else sees, the intentions of our heart, our past, our destructive patterns, everything, it's the inside. And there's an outside, which we show the world around us. Everybody sees the outside of our cup. And, you know, this is the front that we put on. And he says to the Pharisees and, and us as well that we are split, because we have an inside and an outside. And we show the world an outside that doesn't line up with the inside of our cup. We say one thing and we do something else. And the central complaint with the Shemelites is that they clean the outside one way and clean the inside another way with a different ritual. And Jesus says, but there's one cup. There's only one cup. The inside and the outside are integrated in this cup. What Jesus invites people to is an undivided life. A life that is integrated. Do you have an insight, an insight that's full of secrets and lies and scars and pains and destructive messages you tell yourself, deceitful thoughts? What's inside your cup? What's in there? I mean, our culture and the majority of churches will tell you, focus on the outside. 
get the outside clean, get it looking great, you know, and get your life looking right, and you're going to be wonderful. That's what you need. Look good out here. And that's a split. And that's what Jesus attacks, that we are split between these two things. The one that focuses solely on the outside is what Jesus rails against. Focusing just on the outside is antithetical to living the life God calls us to live. We can't do that. you got to Jesus get the inside right, and it's going to flow to the outside of the cup. And so our questions become, is there any way that you and I have been putting on a mask, that we dressed up the outside of our cup and we lived and acted as if everything's fine, when it's not? When we've got to deal with some stuff that's in here, there's all sorts of things in here that we don't want anybody to know about. What if somebody knew that? I can't. Jesus' invitation for you is to start to live an undivided life. It's why I gave you a clear cup. Because in the end, this is what it should look like. We're transparent. We're real. We are integrated. We are undivided. He says, you clean the inside. And I think many times writing helps in the process. Writing helps in the process of this. And I think symbolism is, is very important. And so this morning I'm going to give you a couple things. I put actually markers on all the communion tables so that we can kind of do a little something real symbolic with these. Is there something you want clean? Is there something on the inside that you want to get rid of? Symbolism is useful, I think, when it helps us make a much larger decision. Laying down your burdens is a gesture that's spoken of all throughout Scripture. We give these things to Jesus. And this morning, part of communion that I'm going to call you guys to is to lay down the dirt that's inside your life and learn how to live an integrated life. Jesus uses some words. He uses hypocrites. Did you ever put on a mask? Do you wear a mask? And do you ever feel so tired of pretending and acting? Do you like, I just can't do this anymore? If you feel that way, that's a spirit-led impulse that says you're living a divided life. Learn how to integrate the thing together. There's something you can deal with today that will help you with that. He uses the word greed. Do you ever feel pulled, this insatiable desire for more and more and more and more, and then when you get it, you still want more, and that thing you get is actually just making you miserable? Do you ever feel like that? You can deal with that today. He uses the thing self-indulgence, lack of control. Do you have desires and cravings, and you just don't know what to do with them? Like, oh my goodness, I'm out of control. I feel just out of control. You can start to do something about those today. You don't have to have it all figured out. I mean, that's the beauty of Jesus. We begin with honesty. We say, this is a struggle. You know, and Jesus confronts religious people of his day. And so we just can't look at that and say, oh, that's for them, those evil religious people. We're the evil religious people. That's us. We're the same kind of people. And so we've got to get honest. Uh, scripture uses the word confess. The confess simply means we agree with God about what he says. And so we say, God, I know you know all that's messed up in my life and my heart, and I'm letting you know that I know that you know. And I agree with you. And then we repent. The, there's the words called teshuva. We return to what God called us to be, the person he wants us to be. We turn back to the path of God that he has for you and I. We confess that's wrong. We repent. I'm going to follow and return to Jesus. So this morning for you, if you have something you need to deal with, Anger, pain, hopelessness, jealousy, greed, self-indulgence, wickedness, idolatry, unforgiveness, bitterness. I'm going to invite you, when you take communion, to write that in your cup with one of those pens. And you lay it at God's feet to deal with it. And then you throw it in the garbage can. And you walk away from it. And you start to integrate your life to how it's supposed to be. You take communion. It's representative of Jesus' blood spilled for us. Symbol. And His body broken to give, our, give us a healing to heal our brokenness. Whatever it is that is inside, you leave 
at the foot of Jesus and you walk away to be the integrated person who is whole and who is clean and returns to who God calls you to be. Communion is not meant to be a bummer that's like, oh God, I'm so awful. But it's a time to reflect and return home. We say, God, I thank you that no matter how screwed up I am, you take me back. Communion is a place where we go, God, I'm not, real, I'm not strong, but you are. So take me where you need me to be. Communion is not, you know, what do I need to do so you'll like me? Communion is Jesus saying, I love you. I have taken care of this. I will help you. Communion is we are coming to Jesus and saying, thank you that you've called me a new creation. Show me what it means to live that way. Peace has been made between us and our maker because of Christ. And so we need to throw our divided life away and be whole this morning. That's what Jesus calls us to. And so we're going to take communion. Communion, once again, is where we recognize Christ's body, which was broken for us. You're going to break off a piece of the crack, and you're going to dip it in the juice or the wine. You remember Christ's body and blood that was broken and shed for us. We're going to worship God through prayer. There's going to be some elders in the back of the room that are more than willing to pray with you. If you want to figure out how to get this integrated and you just can't figure that out, we're going to worship God through song. The band's going to actually start coming up right now. We're going to worship God through some song. We can worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the back of the room. You can give to God that way. We're also going to worship God through fellowship. That when we're done this morning, we're having a barbecue, we're hanging out. Part of worship is hanging out with other people, other believers, and getting to know them. I invite you this morning, like Jesus invites us every day, to an undivided life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you help us to be a little more like this cup, uh, transparent and open to what you've called us to. Father, I ask that as we begin to sing songs, we begin to take communion, that we realize that, that your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us it calls us to a place that we can give all that we are back into your hands and we can learn to be whole again. God, we can really be the people that you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, to trust you in that. And take this moment that you give us this week right now to learn to become the integrated whole. To not be like the Pharisees and divide everything up in our lives. But to become undivided. Amen.